Well, hello and welcome to Shuffle Buddies. <laughs> hello. I was waiting for you to finish. I was uh, like, are you gonna say the rest of it? I was gonna say I am Chris. And I'm Casey. And I'm super excited to record today. Really? Yeah. Cool. Me too. I'm really excited. I've because I've had half a glass of wine and I am feeling it. I don't know why. <laughs> well, one reason I'm excited. Well, there's a couple reasons. Here's a couple reasons I'm excited. First reason is this is the eve of oh. Elden Ring, the new Soulsborne Nerd uh, alert. from software game. Uh, <laughs> and I'm super excited because those are my number one jams of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, even the ones I like the least are better than every other game on the planet. These are your video game versions of my British baking show. Yes. Like that you play over and over and over again. It's like the comfy place to go. Mm-hmm. Even when there's new stuff coming out, it's like, but I like this and I'll stay right here. Yes. And I'm super excited about it, even though we're really busy right now. And I kind of feel like I won't have an opportunity to play it for kind of a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that means that the servers will be up and running. And as soon as you want to play it, mm-hmm. it'll be ready to go. I am taking that approach where I'm just not going to sweat it. I will play it at my leisure. This is a once in a five years steak served to me on a plate and I will enjoy it slowly and at my (laughs) own pace. I won't rush to do it in the downtime between school and work and travel and all these other things. I'm just going to do it when I want to do it. and, And if it takes a long time, it takes a long time and that's all the better. That's a good idea. I think that's a good way to look at it because why rush it? Because it's something that you're so excited about Mm -hmm. and it's like cramming it in between things that you have to do it's kind of like you don't even notice you're doing it you want to pay attention to it you want to be able to sit down and like sink your teeth in there is a zeitgeist and conversation that you kind of feel like you're missing out on but Mm -hmm. at the same time these games also I, i i i will stand by my description that i don't think they're the most difficult games it's the approach that makes them difficult and if you try to rush that's going to make it difficult. You just need to be patient. That's, yeah. That's and so I, I'll be totally that. patient, but I'm, I've been waiting for Elden Ring for a long time. And today is the day where it finally unlocks. I know a lot of folks at work are very excited also. Actually, we just hired a new tech support person whom I helped get into our pipeline, which I'm very <laughs> excited about. And I remember we were talking about it because I brought up the fact that uh, you were talking about it with all of the my work folks at our holiday party that mm-hmm. we hosted at mm-hmm. our place. And y'all were ranking your uh, your favorite Souls games. Yes. And then I asked you afterwards what, you know, favorite, least favorite, whatever. And I remember three was your least favorite. It's my least. Yes, it's my least favorite. Three is my least favorite. And it that's polarizing because a lot of people... That is their favorite, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. And the tech support person that we hired, that's his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and it made me think of you. That's fine. I could write a treatise on why I think that is yeah. wrong. but <laughs> <laughs> And I did tell him because I was like, well, you're my in on this conversation where I'm like, well, my partner, Chris, his mm-hmm. favorite is two? No, my favorite. Uh, my one. ranking is one, Dark Souls. Yeah. I was like, Dark Souls. Demon Souls and okay. Bloodborne, and okay. those two are probably interchangeable in the number two spot. Mm-hmm. And then Dark Souls two, and then Dark Souls three, 
And then, and then Sekiro, Sekiro, which I don't really right. consider part of the series, really, but it's adjacent. But if you have to, that's where you'd put it. Yes. But Dark Souls 1, Bloodborne, and Demon Souls are heads and shoulders above the rest. Dark mm-hmm. Souls 2 is a great underappreciated gem. And I just, like I said, <laughs> even my least favorite yeah. Dark Souls game or Souls game in general is still better than the rest. Still, I would take it. And I've played through all of them many a time. So it's, it's like not pizza. like I'm saying it's bad. It's just... It's just not in the same echelon as the other ones. Right. It's just if you have to rank them. Yep. Yeah. It's like it's like pizza. I'll still eat a, I'll eat a bad piece of pizza. <laughs> I'll still love it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I remember because I was talking to him and I was like, well, this is just Chris's opinion. Yeah. yeah. But he was like, he knows that a lot of people really like three. <laughs> <laughs> and I sound like I know what I'm talking about. So you're, you're the reason why I'm cool at work. I'm aware that a lot of people have the wrong <laughs> opinion in that world, but... <laughs> I'll let it slide this once. <laughs> so that's one reason I'm excited. The second reason I'm excited is we just launched a new section of the website. It is so cool. It's like, <laughs> I feel like it's like a love letter. I I heard you working on it last night and I I didn't know what you were doing, but I heard... I'm not going to hum the whole song, but I kept hearing that last night when I was in bed. I was like, what is he doing over there? And I was creating the new page. If you go to shufflebuddies.com, we usually we'd stick this at the end, but I want to just call it out at the beginning because who knows who makes it to the end. Um, <laughs> if you go to shufflebuddies.com, there's a link right there, or you can just go to shufflebuddies.com slash music if yeah. you are too impatient to even visit the website's landing page. <laughs> no clicks. Uh, and we have every song that we have written and composed and performed for every episode, just in a little audio clip. You know, yeah. they're all like 15 to one minute long, depending on the length of the intro. It's so cool. We put a lot of time and effort into those intros, and they're a really fun and creative part of the podcast. And I just wanted to get credit for that. I have plans for a little look back that we're going to do on the podcast, and I'm kind of preparing for that. Yeah, um, but I fun. wanted to log all those. Yeah, it's really cool, and it's it's cool to hear like the progression, and then it's also fun because now you can tell like when you uh, when Christmas happened and when you got all your new toys, because <laughs> yeah. now you have a couple songs that you are performing mm-hmm. MIDI keyboard style songs that have been added to. The intro, the so repertoire. it's kind of cool. Yeah, I love and, it. And speaking of that, I we went to Ontonagon, Michigan, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Yeah, this past weekend to visit family and see a local <gasps> theater production. Loved it. Of uh, Alice in Uperland, yeah. which is a Upper Peninsula <laughs> version of Alice in Wonderland, that was directed by uh, my brother-in-law Eric mm-hmm. Hopper. Yep, and it was a family affair. Like yeah. Trey and Dell were stagehands, mm-hmm. and uh, Sarah and was Sarah was taking tickets. Sarah was taking tickets, and oh, I loved it. I I loved going up there. That was such a fun adventure. Yeah, it was really fun. But except for the actual drive, there were snow squalls half the way. We also learned what snow squalls were. It was very dangerous, but we survived, <laughs> and it was really great. One of the <laughs> one of the uh, upsides or downsides is. Mm-hmm. Antonagon doesn't have a lot going on after hours. Yeah, this is and true. We we didn't make it to uh, is it Stubbs? Stubbs Bar and Museum. Because I, I was like, because oh, there's a Stubbs in Austin, Texas, too, mm-hmm. and I was like, was it that? Is it Stubbs? Yeah. I believe it's also called Stubbs. We didn't, we didn't make it there. We didn't have a pasty. We didn't. I was but too tired. 
I did get plenty of quality time with my teenage engineering OP1. Yeah, you did. And I was able to like sit down and just, you know, all you need sometimes is just like the time to power through a learning curve. And I focus and the focus and the yeah. And there's a plethora of things I could constantly be doing here. But when I'm locked in an Airbnb and it's a snowstorm outside, uh, I was really able to like really <laughs> learn a lot about it and make a huge leap of feeling comfortable with how that machine works. And so it was super fun. So I like every night, I think the first night I stayed up really late. And then I did every other night after that too. Not quite as late because that first night I just didn't get any sleep. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really fun. So my, my OP1 has leveled up. I have leveled up my OP1 skills. So maybe that will make an appearance on a future intro. I'm excited. But it feels good to do something creative, figure something out, and put your um, wonderful Christmas gift to use. I'm so happy to see you using that and getting joy and just like enjoying learning about it. I don't think you'll ever get tired of it because it just has infinite possibilities, I feel. Yes. It's so cool. Yep. And you spent the trip mostly buried in a book. Yes. All the way up and all the way back down. I was pretty much reading... One of those management books that I think I, yeah. I talked about in the last episode. It's called The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky, who was um, one of the co-founders of Behance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. I was going to say, I was like, I was going to ask you, I kept min- meaning to ask you the whole time if you had heard of that, because basically an online like portfolio, portfolio say, for yeah. creatives. Yep. Um, which I have was, a Behance. Yeah. I don't keep it updated. I haven't updated no, I, in probably like 15 years, <laughs> but I am well aware of Behance. And- Isn't it funny once you... Once you have a job or are even just like established, you just don't update any of that stuff. Yeah. Like the last time I applied for a job, I exported my resume from LinkedIn. (laughs) I was like, here you go, I guess, if you need this. At least you have a LinkedIn. (laughs) It's true. My previous job, I think, made me a LinkedIn connoisseur. Mm -hmm. Now I just have it open all the time. You are a LinkedIn master. I am a LinkedIn master. Yes. Because I get messages on there and I answer. That's a big step. I know. That's a big part of being a master. <laughs> um, it's a great book. It's called the the Messy Middle, and it's all about basically um, startups. And so currently, I work at a startup, and everything in between your seed round funding, which is getting started, getting up and off the ground, mm-hmm. to the end, whatever that may be, selling or it just like ending and you shutting up shop. Um, it is all about the middle part of it. And it was really interesting. It was a lot of uh, the chapters are done really well for someone like me. They're bite-sized chapters, mm-hmm. like a couple of pages. Yeah. And um, I know myself, and sometimes I can read and read and read, but I know especially with these management books, they're a little bit drier, even the most interesting ones. And my eyes just get tired. I get tired. And then mm-hmm. I just don't read as much as I want to. And so this time I tried something different. Um, and I'm really lucky that I can read in the car and not get sick. Yeah. For but real. I, I yeah. get real sick. Yeah. I, uh, I downloaded it on Audible. And so I listened to it and I read along. And so I, and I listened to it like at two times the speed. Yes. And I was able to just like power through this thing and do a couple, like do a hundred pages like every day. And I probably have like an hour left of it. I, I don't know what it was where it was just like I didn't have to focus as hard with my eyes and I was able to just kind of flow through it and 
I sometimes paused it so I could underline something or if I wanted to reread something, but I feel like, like it was super helpful. I I felt kind of like a little kid where it was like (laughs) hearing it and reading it, you know, and it's like, you know, and I'm like kind of putting my finger along the page. (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed it. Made it really easy to read a ton of pages. Did you feel like it was a book worth reading? Did you, are you finished with it? I'm almost finished with it. I have like an hour left, um, but I definitely feel like it was a book worth reading. I feel like it's good for anybody. Okay. Like it mainly is focused towards startups and just basically enduring like the hard times Mm -hmm. and then optimizing your wins Mm -hmm. and how to just like optimize your product and how you go about your um, decision making and daily life and all that good stuff. But I feel like it can just be applied to anything because endurance is always needed and optimization is always needed. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think that's how the best books are. They apply to more things. Yeah. Yeah. I I just saw lots of opportunities in there for how I can just be better. Yeah. It was fun to read. Well, you'll have to tell me how I can be better. Okay. I or maybe will. I'll read it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll, read I'll just it. give it to you. I don't need to tell you anything. You're great. You're perfect. <laughs> one book I'd like to go back and read is one, what I used to consider my favorite book, which is Everything I Know About Filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger by Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> and it was an amazing book. Uh, I haven't read it since college, but I really did love it. And I feel like I should go back and read that and see if it holds up as as being applicable to a broader sense. Oh, just about running a small business, really. Yeah, that'd so, be super interesting. Yeah. Just getting that perspective. I feel like anytime you can just learn about someone else's perspective, you know, and, and this guy was super successful. Behance got acquired by Adobe. Mm-hmm. And then Adobe hired him on, obviously. Um, well, not obviously, but as part, obviously. part of the acquisition, I'm guessing he was hired on. But then he became like a leader of the team that helped Adobe switch from selling their product to subscription. Ooh. I know. Very, Very controversial. controversial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was really it was really interesting to get his perspective on things. I appreciated it. At first, when you said it was a book... All I know about filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. I was like, all I need to know about filmmaking, I learned in kindergarten. (laughs) Is that what I was? I feel like there's a book that's like, everything I need to know about something, Mm -hmm. I learned in kindergarten. You really learn everything you need to know in kindergarten. I think so. Sorry, I've almost had a full glass of wine now, and I'm really... I don't know. Your body just goes through, you know, cycles and different balances and pH and just like, holy moly, tonight, I'm just like, this this wine is just, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I've had like one glass, maybe three-fourths of a glass. Uh, I feel like, because I'm so talkative right now, it's like, I get, put a glass of wine in me is like putting a quarter in a jukebox. Well, that's I can talk the perfect and talk and talk. Uh, recipe for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, we have a lot to talk about, and I feel like we've already talked about a lot, and I have a lot more to talk about. One thing that I would <laughs> like to talk about a little bit, and I, I believe you've played this. Have you played Space Space? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I was going to make the transition. Somebody really loves Space Space, but we have been playing Space Space online a little bit. I know bit. who loves Space Space. Yeah. Trey loves space base. Trey loves space base. I think the last time we talked to him, which was this weekend. Yes. It was his favorite game. 
It's his second favorite game. Oh, what? What's his favorite? Now it's Railways of the World is his favorite. Oh, I thought that was his second favorite. Maybe he's changed it. I just (laughs) talked to him online. I was literally, before we recorded this podcast, playing Space Base with Trey and Trey alone. Because no one else made it to that session of gaming. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I creamed him twice. (laughs) The first time I just destroyed him. 40 to 9. There was no... There was no coming back from that. The second one Brutal. was much closer, and I just yeah. barely squeaked out a win. But that's I felt one of those good. games that you can, you really can go either way. Yeah, <laughs> and so Space Base is designed by John D. Clare and published by AEG or Alderac Entertainment Group, and it's basically this game of rolling dice and getting actions. And you have this big tableau of twelve spaceship cards. And you uh, roll dice, earn money, buy new spaceships, upgrade your tableau. Uh, And one of the things that I love about this game is it's called, and I think the designer coined this. Well, I don't know if the designer coined this, but it was on the Board Game Geek page. It's called a I roll, everyone gets stuff game, which is exactly what happens. Uh, And I think that's one of Space Base's best features. I roll. Yes. As in like personal pronoun, I Yes. No, yes, not I roll. Not like I roll, like, oh my God. No, it's I roll the dice (laughs) and everybody gets things. Yes. And in Space Base, uh, as you upgrade your tableau, you upgrade what happens on your turn, but you also turn the cards that were previously in your tableau upside down, and it basically upgrades what you get on other people's turns. So there's rolls, for instance, during Trey in my game, where he would roll on his turn and get a few dollars, and I would get a few points and like $10 because my uh, my upgrades were so good. Mm-hmm. I did really like that. Yeah. So it's a very simple game, but it does offer the opportunity to really quickly build a strategic engine. So if you play well, you're still at the mercy of the dice in some cases, but you can play and kind of mitigate those odds and play well. There was a game that came out called Machi Koro several, many years ago now, actually. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's it's around. It's been at Target. It's kind of a, it's kind of a mainstay of family level almost mass market games. It's not quite mass market, but it's it's like available in your targets and your Barnes and Nobles and things like that. And it's exactly the same mechanism where you roll dice, uh, you get things on your turn and depending on which buildings, when you upgrade your town, you get things on other turns. But I think Space Base does it in a Space more exciting, Base. faster way that I had Machi Koro. I did like the idea of it, but I think it just played too slow and Space Base solves that problem pretty well. And so I think it's like a great... Family game that's kind of like a Seven Wonders level. That's kind of like the level of game that it feels like. Yeah, I can see that because it is just interacting with cards. Mm -hmm. There isn't a whole lot to have to keep track of. Yeah. And similar to Seven Wonders, it's also great because you're always engaged on other people's turn. You get to do things. Yeah, that is. That's Um, a great point. It is Trey's number two game. It's not my number two game. I think it's it's like an enjoyable game. It plays really well online. I've played it in person too. And it's a little bit awkward to like move the cards and shift them and flip them over. And, and there's like 12 of them. And it's kind of this big piano keyboard of cards or whatever. I can just see how that would get super yeah. messy. Everything just kind of would get a little bit wonky. like And <laughs> yep. just the aesthetics, it would make me a little uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I'd want to straighten everything out. It is a really fun game. Not my number two game, but it's Trey's number two game. So Hey, that means something. Trey's good. Trey, he is a game connoisseur. He is a game connoisseur. His number one game is Railways of the World. Number two, Space Base. Number three, Galaxy Trucker. It seems like his his number one game is like kind of, yeah, maybe he does like space. He Mm -hmm. was very interested 
I might have lied because actually this might be a uh, Age of Steam variant, but there is a train variant on Mars. And so he was very interested in that. But then Trey said that he didn't care about Mars. He wanted it to be Saturn. Oh, yeah. Mars is played out. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of played out. No. <laughs> Transition. I have a book about a hundred year old man. <laughs> so the book, I, the other, the book for fun that I'm reading right now, um, I have book club tomorrow night. Oh yeah. I am not going to get this done in time for book club, but that's okay because I think it's more of a hangout club. It's more of a wine club. I have a feeling. Well, no. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's so basic where it's like, this isn't a book club. It's a wine club with a book problem. (laughs) No, that's probably what it's going to be. It's a friend club. It's a friend club. There's three of us. And basically the last time that we hung out (laughs) drinking wine, we're like, we should start a book club. (laughs) And so this was the book that Gina recommended. It's called The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared by Jonas Johansson. Um, I think he's Swedish. Oh, yeah. He's a former journalist and media consultant. He lives in Sweden. I'm guessing he's Swedish. Mm-hmm. But, oh. you know, you never know. Jonas Johansson. That actually does sound pretty Swedish. Yeah. Uh, but he... It's, a, it's, it's been so much better than I thought it was going to be. I was like, yeah, I bet it's like, you know... About this 100-year-old man, he goes off and everyone's looking for him and stuff. So is this a fiction or nonfiction? It is fiction. Okay. But, oh my gosh, what a fun book. I'm only a little bit less than halfway through it, not going to finish it before tomorrow, especially after I've had a little bit of wine tonight. Oh my gosh, and wine tomorrow. But it really is. He, at the very beginning, he climbs out the window of the place that he's living before his 100th birthday. Because it's going to be a celebration for the town. Already pretty impressive to climb out a window at 100 years old. Right. And I just thought it was going to be like, oh, he gets into these adventures and they're trying to chase him and find him to bring him home. It is so much more than that because it also it's one of those ones it has like the parallel stories where mm-hmm. it's like current time and then the past. Mm-hmm. And it's like it jumps in between those two and the past is, I mean, it's fiction, but it's based in reality. And it is so interesting because he just like all of a sudden is uh, he's in the Spanish war and like blowing up bridges. And but he's very apolitical. He just likes to blow things up. Okay. And then he's having tequila with Harry Truman uh, because he also worked on like the A-bomb. Because mm-hmm. right? he likes to blow things up. Exactly. Um, and then he is in China and then is like, no, I don't want to be here anymore. And then he like hitches a ride to go over the Himalayas. Oh my God. Like, it's crazy. There are so many adventures. And then also the the adventure that he gets in in the current time is just way beyond what I expected it to be. <laughs> so it is so much fun and I'm really enjoying it. And I heard Sarah said that sometimes she listens to this and gets her book recommendations mm-hmm. from it, which I was very excited about. So yeah. hopefully Sarah hears this. <laughs> um, and I will definitely, I think this is a good donation, a library donation book. Yeah, I'll read it once. I'm going to get everything I want out of it. And then I'll pass it on. That's awesome. 
I'm really having fun with it. It's, I was going to say, fun. if it's about a hundred year old man, I feel like it has to do the parallel timeline and going through his life and things like that. Cause it's just such right. a great story convention. Yes. Cause like it would be, I think a lost opportunity if you have a 100 year old man as your protagonist <laughs> to only live in the future yeah. when there's like a hundred years that you can go back to. The, the uh, you know, like the, the big quote on the front of the book says, this playful book will remind you to live life to the fullest. <laughs> I thought you were going to say live, laugh, love. <laughs> I mean, basically, <laughs> live, laugh, love. Might as well. Make friends. So that's the book that I'm reading right now, and it is really fun. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. I have one other thing that I'd like to talk about that has to deal with traveling and reliving the past. Ooh. And that's a new game that I picked up. It's a game? It's a game. What? <laughs> uh, it's a game I picked up sight unseen the other day when I, when I saw it hit the store shelves at our friendly local All Systems Go. Mm. And that's a game called Shinkansen Zero Kai. Ooh. And it's a game where players are tasked to build the first bullet train line right before the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. So Classic. you are kind of racing to build this train network before the Olympics start in 1964. Another train game. Yes. It's very different. It's very, very different than you're not really building and delivering anything like that. Yeah. Um, but the thing that perked my attention is I saw that it was designed by Shay S. and Isra C. And this one is published by Ludonova. But those two designers also designed Red Cathedral. Ooh, I liked Red Cathedral. Which I did. I think that is a, just like a great little gem of a game. I remember we talked about the package design a lot. Yes. Because it's, it's a nice, tight, little, just well packed game <laughs> and i i could say the same thing about shinkansen zero kai except for it is a little bigger i was mm -hmm. i was a little disappointed when i showed up in person to pick it up and it was slightly bigger than the red cathedral box but that box was packed tight mm -hmm. um so in this game players are collectively working together to build this train but it's not a cooperative game they're competing against each other to build faster do things before mm -hmm. make more money and one thing that I thought was really interested in is you you have this tiny little train when you start the game and every round you just draft a new train card that kind of slots in between your front and back of the train and it gives you one more action that you can take. So you're building this little tableau that's only five rounds so you're going to probably only add five cards to this little tableau um, of actions where you can uh, dig up track, you can lay track, you can build stations, uh, you can make money. Those are basically the things you can do in the game. Mm -hmm. So it's a little tableau building game, but also similar to the game we talked about last week, slightly, Concordia. We mentioned Concordia. Okay, I was like, what did we talk about last week? <laughs> we just talked about Concordia slightly, yes. but we didn't go in super depth. But one of the things Concordia does that this game borrows is when you take one of those cards, you're also, it has a station listed on it and at the end of the game you're going to score points for that station so all the stations that are on these cards you're going to score points for mm, the mm -hmm. difference is stations are going to be worth points based on how people built them up over the game mm -hmm. and they can even be worth negative points if they're ignored so you're kind of oh, choosing like yeah. i want so every time you're choosing this action you're choosing i want it because it has a good action on it Mm -hmm. I want it because it has a station that I am interested in investing or I think will be worth a lot of points at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And it decides turn order. And turn order is very important in this game. So you're every time you're drafting at the beginning, you're just like, I want one of these three things. 
uh, it's kind of this really difficult decision. But overall, it's a game similar to Red Cathedral where it's a small game, only lasts five rounds, comes in this small box. It feels a little bit bigger and meatier than Mm -hmm. it might otherwise. And it also has beautiful little components, just like the cutest little train I love pieces. that. They're almost like almost to the point where they're gonna, you're going to lose them, but they're just like these little matchstick size like <gasps> train things. Oh, cute! Uh, I want to make jewelry out of them. <laughs> I haven't even seen them, and I want to wear them as earrings. Yeah, and and so it's <laughs> it's a beautiful production. It looks awesome. It reminds me of a stock game where everyone's invested in these stations and building this network. Um, so like and Irish gauge. Just in the fact kinda? that you, if I invest in this station and you invest in this station. Mm-hmm. We're both going to score points, and I'm not going to score more or less, just depending on how many oh, cards okay, they have. Oh, okay, okay. So, so it's great to get into stations nobody else is in, but if everyone else gets into them and it scores for them, then you're like, well, who cares? Because now we're all equal. So right. you're kind of trying to do things in places where people aren't um, and do things in places where before people can get there. Um, so it's just a tight little game. I love the theme. I love the package. Um it's just a really interesting game. It has a, a pretty interesting solo mode. So mm-hmm. it kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't really hear a lot about it and it just appeared. And then I saw the designers and I was like, oh crap, I got to grab that. And I did. And I'm happy I did. And I think, I think we should play it because I think you would, you would enjoy it too. I'm in. Okay. Very cool. Love all systems go. Yes. All systems go is a great store. If you're in Minneapolis, check it out. Yes. Buy and sell used games. That is a treasure to behold. Yeah, and just I'm so happy that they moved to a like a, a new space too. Hopefully that means good things for them. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's a bigger store and I'm just yeah. I'm just happy to see that coming into the community. Just like small stores and yeah, buy sell, kind of reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah. Kind of share games. I'm I'm digging it. Owned by nice people. Yeah, I do like them. I feel like they're, I don't know them as well as you might know them. <laughs> I don't know like, them that well. I know, but, but I feel like they, they recognize you whenever you come in and they're yeah. like, oh, hey, Chris. Yeah. And in fact, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm here with Chris. So cool. Yeah. And I mean, that's. They know him. It, and it's, I don't know them that well, but they do remember my name. And, and, and even though I'm wearing a mask, they remember my yeah. appearance. Well, cause and, you're like tall skinny <laughs> and i always wear the same clothes and yeah. stuff but a guy with a black jacket on all the time <laughs> yeah and and like last time i was or one of the previous times i was in there i was just like checking it out i don't remember exactly what i was there for but they were just like hey we just got a bunch of new games in mm-hmm. they seem like they'd be right up your alley and they pulled out these tupperwares of just like brand new trades hadn't been even oh like priced that's or anything. so cool and, and they were exactly the kind of games i'd be into some of them i already owned um and i did end up buying one as well that's awesome. Um, That's that means something. Like I love that kind of when they're just like this came in and I thought of you. <laughs> like who doesn't love that? We all love it. We all love it. Yeah. We just want to be recognized. Speaking of being recognized, yeah. Should we talk about our game? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I feel like that could have been so. You should have said. Speaking of being recognized, I recognize a great game on the horizon. Ooh, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. You have to tell people Keep that I'm holding in. my um He's hand uh, up he like has a, his adventure hand to his brow. Yeah, like I'm scanning the horizon. <laughs> yes, he's scanning the horizon. Yes. And today's <laughs> today's featured game that we're gonna discuss is The Dwellings of Eldervale. Yes. So many names so are many similar names. right now. <laughs> yes. We keep confusing it with the other game. 
You know what game I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I can't even think of it now because I'm um, thinking of Elder. I know. <laughs> Elder, uh, Everdell. Everdell. Yes. The and first now, game we ever talked about. Yeah. And then um, what's the Souls game that's coming out? Elden Ring? Yeah. Okay. I get all, it confused. All Just over the place. Forewarning, I will probably call this game Everdell every <laughs> single time because I cannot say the dwellings of Everdell. You almost did it. I know. Dwellings what of is Elder it? Vale. Elder Vale. Eldervale. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like Riverdale. Does. They out of Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Simpsons joke. Somebody will get it. Oh shit. Does Katie listen? Yes. She'll Maybe. get it. She might get it. Yes. So I haven't recorded the uh descriptor of how to play, but I will do that in the future. So cut to that. All right, let's talk about the dwellings of Eldervale. This is designed by Luke Laurie with a variety of artists, including Siergo Chavez, Anton Fadiv, Lisha Hannigan, Irina Kuzmina, Marilisa Chan, Nathaniel Mordenson, Sasha Radivijek, Sam Turner, Brian Velaza, and Frank Wade. And it's published by Breaking Games. In the dwellings of Eldervale, players are taking on the roles of various factions who are seeking to adventure, battle, grow in power, and eventually make a home in Eldervale. This is a worker placement game with elements of area control, tableau building, resource management, card play, and even dice combat. On your turn in dwellings, you can do one of two things. Either you can place a worker from your supply out into the land of Eldervale, or you can recall all of your workers. Let's talk about placing a worker first. You place one of your units from your supply to the board, which is this map made of hexes, each of which is a different worker placement spot. The actions your units can take are pretty simple and most consist of collecting just a single resource token, but you can also summon new workers, trade resources, explore and expand the map, gather power in the various elemental powers of Eldervale, buy powerful adventure cards, and build the titular dwellings. When you deploy your workers, the first worker can really be deployed into any unoccupied space on the map, but each subsequent worker has to be placed adjacent to a previously placed unit. If you ever place one of your workers into a space with another player's workers present, you get to perform that action, but then you have to battle. The winner is going to stay in the space and the loser gets all of their units sent to the underworld. But it's not just other players you're going to be battling, there's also unique monsters who roam the map and if you get too close to them, they rush in to battle you as well. They're tough, but beating them can grant you some pretty nice rewards or they can even join your side for the rest of the game. Thankfully, you have more than just standard workers at your disposal. Each player can also recruit a wizard, a warrior, and a dragon who all have special tweaks to the standard rules, like rolling more dice in combat or being able to teleport to any space on the board. Eventually, you're going to run out of units to send out, and you can perform the regroup action. Instead of placing any workers on the board, you bring all of your workers back into your supply. However, as you explore, you'll be adding cards to your tableau, and many of these will have worker placement actions that can only be used during this regroup action. Any unit returning from the realm of Eldervale can use these cards to perform actions on their way back. However, any units that were destroyed in battle are just collected without performing any of these tableau actions. And that's pretty much it. You place a worker and take the action, or you recall all of your workers. A couple things I'd like to call attention to are, whenever you build a dwelling in Eldervale, you actually take a little cute roof and place it on top of one of your worker meeples out in the land of Eldervale. For the rest of the game, they are no longer a unit and they are a dwelling. They'll score you points at the end of the game and they'll give you small bonuses during combat, but you can no longer use them to take actions or recall them back to your tableau. They're there forever. Also, whenever you build a dwelling or collect an adventure card, 
you're going to gain elemental power in the matching color of the realm you built into or the card you purchased. This is going to be really important when it comes to endgame scoring. Speaking of which, the game ends when one player has either built their final dwelling or the entire realm has been explored. Either way, players are going to add up any points they gain throughout the game, any points they might have earned from secret endgame scoring cards they might have collected, and they're going to earn points for the power level they've reached in each of the elemental powers. Finally, and most importantly, they're going to score points for every adventure card in their tableau and dwelling they've built in Eldervale. Each card and dwelling are going to be worth points equal to the level that player has gained in the corresponding elemental power. So if you've achieved 5 points in the red elemental power, all of your red adventure cards in your tableau and dwellings built into red realms on the board are going to be worth 5 points each. Once you've tallied all that up, the player with the highest score wins, and that's how you play Dwellings of Eldervale. So, uh, yeah, the Dwellings of Eldervale. Eldervale. I was going to say the first thing about this game is I will never pronounce it right, but we've already said that. So I think the second thing mm-hmm. about this game mm-hmm. is the giant, ridiculous production of the Oh, that's right. Does it have a giant box? I always leave the table when it's <laughs> time to pack up. <laughs> I'm just, I try to kind of gather things and you're like, it's okay. I got this. And I'm like, okay. Yes. So The Dwellings of Eldervale is a product of Kickstarter, a product of our times, really. Yes. Uh, And it is a massive production that includes a massive box, tons of colored, pre-washed, sculpted minis. They look really good. I am not a minis person, but they are pretty sweet minis. Me too. I do love, I love a good wash. Like that's that like ink wash. wash. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it has like that black for people that don't know what ink wash is. It's, it, it looks like it got washed in ink. So yeah, I guess, it has, yeah. <laughs> it has added depth because the darkness collects in the shadow areas of the sculpt. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's just like a, like a just piece plastic. of plastic. Featureless plastic. Yeah. And it has game trays, plastic sculpted game trays that help you set up very custom molded with all sorts of different patterns and well, the yeah, way and the then, cards are separated. Yeah. And your player board. It's basically a little Tupperware. It just like... Yeah, you just clicks take right these on little top. player board Tupperwares out. They have all the pieces set up how you need them. It has the player I, board on top. That is like, I really do like that because a lot of our other games, they just have like extra plastic covers mm-hmm. on top. Yep. But like the covers are the player boards that then you take off and place on the table and mm-hmm. you don't have these extra covers sitting around. Yeah. And the I final like most important part are the little bases that are electronic that go on the bottom of the miniatures. I always forget that because we never use them. <laughs> we use them once. We use them once. But when you place the monster on the table, it goes... Yeah. A, a little muted toy sound of a monster roaring. Yep. They all have different sounds. They do have different sounds. <gasps> the black one, like the demon one, it does sound a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like maybe a some something eating a goat. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, Chris is like, I don't think we can record after you've had a glass I'm, of no, wine. I was just like, that's a very specific thing. Like, it has to be a goat. <laughs> um, yeah. So because well, goats are the most evil animal. So the dwellings of Eldervale, they're evil. Well, yeah. I mean, like the cloven hood, it hoof. Yeah. <laughs> is that what, cloven. Yeah. Clo- you know. I guess I don't consider them being evil. I think they're just sacrificed for the sake of evil, but maybe they are. They do have those weird eyes. 
Oh my gosh, that the square pupils. Yeah. Or yeah, like rectangular ones, yeah. pupils. Yes. But I mean like the devil has the same hooves, right? Yeah, but so do like horses and stuff, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. Next. <laughs> so when so I think the first <laughs> thing that anybody would notice about the dwellings of Eldervale is its epic proportions when it comes to the table. With its big giant miniatures, its plastic molded trays, its sound bases, its real metal gold coins, all mm-hmm. of these different things. And that's actually one of the reasons I did not get Dwellings of Eldervale for a long time. It just seemed like it was too much for me. And I actually stumbled upon it very luckily when I was getting a tattoo one day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was sitting there scrolling in with my phone with my one arm I could use. And somebody said, hey, I'm selling Dwellings of Eldervale. I've heard it's good and it has a really great solo mode. So I was like, I'm into that. And I said, I'll take it. I'm sure whatever price it is is fine. And then I uh, got bored and looked up what prices it was going for. And it was going for ridiculous prices. How much is ridiculous? I think it was like 450 $500 wow. or something. It was like a lot. It was out of print it, at yeah. the time, right? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, this is a wonderful soul, a kind soul in uh, Minneapolis scene who I often trade and deal with. And he was like, you know what? I got it for a reasonable price, Mm -hmm. way less than I thought he was going to say. And he's like, I'll give it to you for that much because that's how much I got it for. Deal. And I picked it up. Yeah. Part of the reason that we're doing this review is that they recently announced a reprint. So it will be back in stock. Yeah, because right after we played it, I was like, I love this game. Let's, I want to do a review on this. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do a review because it's really hard to get. Yeah. And, and, you know, it would just make people feel like, oh, thanks. Now I have to pay $500. Yeah. Be like, oh, the cool kids have, only the cool kids have this game. Yes. Like, no, you can also have this game. (laughs) Non cool kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that was like a big motivation for us to, to, for you to want to mm-hmm. actually do this because it this felt episode. like it was for the masses it will be yeah. it will be available in, in the world again soon um yeah and casey basically said what she thought right off the bat but i bought the game expecting it's probably good because i've heard good things i was instantly amazed at how how much i liked it yeah it turns out that even though it has these big minis and these sound bases and dice rolling for combat and things like this it is really a pretty thoughtful and tight kind of strategy Euro worker placement game. And I was just surprised at how, mm-hmm. um, how modest some of the actions and how, how kind of constrained the game felt for how big its production was. I guess I should say constrained is the word I was searching for. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And so, like I said... It's worker placement, mm-hmm. it's area control, mm-hmm. it's tableau building, Yep. it has combat, which you roll dice to resolve. Yeah, which I normally don't like combat. Yeah, it just has a lot of things going mm-hmm. on in it, but everything it does, it does in a really smart way. Yeah. And I think the thing that I thought was one of the most amazing parts of the game right off the bat that I was like, this is really fun and something that I would love to see in more games is the what I am going to say, and maybe somebody's already called it this, but I'm going to call it reverse 
worker placement, Mm -hmm. where in a lot of games you put out workers and you put out workers and then eventually you're out of workers and you pass and you just take all your workers back and maybe you get some income or something like this. Yeah. This one, you're putting workers out into the world of the board Mm -hmm. and taking actions Mm -hmm. and that's where the monsters are. That's where the other people are. That's where the battles happen. That's where the battles happen. But when you're out of workers or whenever you want to recall the workers, you take a recall turn and you bring your workers back. Even at the start of the game and as you go and build your tableau more and more, you build up a personal tableau of worker placement spots in your tableau and you get to bring your workers back. And on that turn, you just get to get things and do things. And it makes a turn that's usually just like, oh, I'm passing. I I don't have any workers. I guess I have to pass and I'll take these back. It turns it into probably the best turn you're going to do because you get to just do thing after thing after thing and get things and turn things into other things. And it's just like a really fun way the, of passing. Yeah. The last game that we played where I kicked your butt. By uh, like five points. <laughs> um, by like 13. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, actually, before you ended the game, mm-hmm. uh, I was already thinking of doing what I ended up doing, which was basically I had put out my a warrior and then I'd put out one person and I was going to recall my warrior so that I could do the create a dwelling action. Mm-hmm. And I had like three other people that I could put out. You know, I could have kept going until I couldn't go anymore and then recall. Mm-hmm. But I was already planning because I was like, well, it's just as beneficial. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt. It's not like a passing. It's not giving up a turn. Right. It's still taking an action recalling people because I was like well I have a person out there that I can turn into a dwelling and I'm just going to recall my warrior put put it on the action that allows me to create dwellings Mm -hmm. and then I have that right there because I was on like the right side of the board and the create a dwelling action on the board was like five spaces away away. Mm -hmm. there was no way I was going to get there I didn't have my dragon or my wizard I wasn't going to be able to build a chain over to that area Mm -hmm. um, before I needed to recall people anyway and so I was like oh I'll just put these two people here I'll make sure that I have a person out that I can turn into a dwelling and I think that definitely that could have won you the game that might have won it might not have won me the game because I won by so much <laughs> but because of that dwelling, because I think it had a couple of gold hexes by it and then a couple of um, other dwellings around it, I think just making that dwelling itself was worth, well, I guess maybe that, that did win game. me the game because immediately it was worth eight points. Yeah. Yeah, that might have done it for me. So you said kind of two things that I think are really smart about this game. And the first one is... And smart about my um, And smart strategy, about the way you play right? Um, a lot of a lot of worker placement games, it it is a race to get the most workers where you're just like the obvious right. action is I got to do the thing that gets me more workers because the more workers I have, the more actions I get to take in a round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things like Agricola, you're kind of like going for those early family building spots. Um, so you can have like the longest turns too. Mm-hmm. You want to so keep going. Yep. And this one, because you kind of get that ebb and flow it's not about having the most workers it's just about when is the best time to recall the workers and when is the best time to put out workers and it's not the best just to get all the workers right away because then you're 
waiting so long before you get to do these really powerful tableau actions when you recall them. Well, yeah. And then if you recall them and you have too many workers out on the board and you don't have enough recall placements for mm -hmm. them, you're wasting yeah, it, workers then you're wasting, yeah, on the that's recall. When that's the that's like the painful pass action is if you recall workers and you don't have enough tableau spots to put all your workers on. Yep. So that is one area that I think is really smart. It's just mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it has, I'm going to call them workers. It has workers yeah, that basically. are just basic workers that you can place. And then it has elite workers like the warrior, the barbarian. Sorry, is the, the warrior, warrior the, the wizard, wizard, and the, and the dragon. dragon. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has those elite ones that just change the game with their small just differences. They roll more dice. They can travel in different ways where they can kind of scout further out. They cost more to recruit, they cost obviously. More. And like, then I like them because they add to the game, but they don't change it drastically. Mm -hmm. Like there's been plenty of times where all I ever recruited was my warrior and maybe you recruited warrior, wizard, dragon. And I didn't feel like there was that much of a difference. Right. You know, it, it gave a little bit of an advantage when you needed to use them. But a lot of times their um, their advantages are so specific. Yes. Like you had to use it in a really good time for it to really work for you in the best way possible. Yes. And so everybody has those four basic units right off the bat. And then in addition, whatever uh, faction they take at the beginning of the game mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. gives them even more, a couple even more specialized rules for a couple of their units. And so that just kind of makes the whole equation of like, workers aren't all equal. Yeah. Some workers are really great for doing like this. Like my workers got to roll two dice mm -hmm. in battle. Yes. That's a big deal. And your warrior got a point every time he was involved in a battle, which also might have won you the game. That was one big thing, because you know me, I'm not a big battler. I'm mm -hmm. not a big battle person. But the thing about this game that they did really well was that they incentivized battling. Yes. Not only where you get rewarded for battling, but even when you battle with each other, when you battle with a monster, the, the risk just wasn't that high. Right. Like it was, kind, there was a monster where it was like, their special ability was like, you didn't have to battle them if you didn't want to, <laughs> yeah. you know? And no matter what, you got to take the action on that hex mm -hmm. where it, they just made battling such a, a regular part of the game that it wasn't that painful. And it was like, even if you lost, you got sent to hell, <laughs> <laughs> but you got a sword. Yeah, you got you know? something for it. And if you won, you get to move up on the glory track, which, you know, give or take glory track or sword. And then there were magic cards that rewarded you for losing a battle. Mm -hmm. And then there were glory cards that rewarded you for winning battles. Or like what I had, my, what you were saying, my warrior, I just got a point every single time I entered a battle. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take a battle with the with the warrior mm -hmm. and then just get a point for it. I don't care if I win or lose. It doesn't yeah. hurt that bad. That is true. I think the battling doesn't feel confrontational. There are moments where it is truly important mm -hmm. towards the end game where you're, you, I'm like, okay, Casey is all the way leveled in fire. She's built into fire territory. She has a lot of fire cards. Like, I don't want her to build any more fire dwellings. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe I could battle to push you out. Yeah. But most of the time, you're just like, oh, that sucks. I lost the oh, battle. Oh, we just both wanted to go into the same hex. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And a lot of times you're just battling because you're like, I just want this thing you're standing on. Right. Uh, so one of us is going to die. I don't really care if it's me or you. Let's roll if it's me. And yep. there are times where I was like, ooh, I am like one or two swords short from buying something from the kind of like the special tableau card display. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just going to get in battle and hope I lose because that is going to give me the resources that my next turn 
I can buy something. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. you even want to go in battles and just be like, just I want to lose. Oh, yeah. And then there was another magic card where it was like, gain a point for every unit that you have in hell or the underworld, I guess was what it was called. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, I'll get into this battle. Oh, I lost. Oh, such a bummer. You know, mm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in this battle with a monster. No, I'm not going to pull in any reinforcements. I want to lose because mm-hmm. I want to get as many points as possible. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. It, it made it really chill. And you know, the other thing I really like, I just really like the dice. I like the dice rolling aspect of it instead of like drawing a card and mm. revealing a punishment where it's like with especially battling with the monsters mm-hmm. where it was like oh you draw a card and it's like oh this monster does three damage and then also it does this thing where it was it it really depended on the luck of the draw where it was like it did a thing but are you the, thinking it, of a specific game is that like gloomhaven you're kind of comparing it to or something um i think marvel champions oh yeah okay yeah. that was a big one yep that definitely had that where it was just like these cards it was just like super random and mm-hmm. it was just like oh my gosh you can just never win it's like every time you battle a monster is just gonna be a nightmare and and i kind of liked that this time i feel like it was actually possible to beat a monster yeah which you did many times in that last one it's funny you say that because um which you know i don't like battling so i really (laughs) like that where it was just like it's just dice roll i really have almost as much of a chance to win as you do it, yeah, and it's a very simple system. It's kind of the you just roll as many dice as you're able to roll. Mm-hmm. Highest result wins. Yeah. Simple as that. And yep. if there's multiple high ones, then so if you have two sixes, you just kick those two out and compare the next highest. And either you have the highest dice or you're out of dice. Mm-hmm. And whoever wins, wins. Um, and it's funny that you kind of mentioned how random it is. People obviously consider dice random i think it's random but it's still it's still boxed in yeah there's only so many things that can happen right and well i was about to say there's this there's this podcast there's a wonderful person in the board game world named jeff engelstein who does a podcast segment called game tech and he Mm -hmm. talks about the science behind games and and he's done a few about dice and he actually the dice tower podcast that he regularly contributed to just had their 750th final episode holy crap <laughs> yeah so and he Only contributed 730 a more to go and jeff engelstein who's been a contributor to this podcast with these science game tech segments in his final one he was talking about dice and although you can people often consider dice random if you roll dice a lot mm-hmm. they become they become a constant they become predictable and there's highs and lows but you're not looking at the highs and lows so in a game like dwellings of eldervale where you might be rolling three or five dice per combat multiple times a game Mm -hmm. that actually is going to even the curve out where it is a predictable and not chaotic thing if you're only rolling one dice like that can feel chaotic where you're just like this Mm -hmm. is one dice roll and a lot hinges on this dice roll so if you spread it out over the course of this game yeah you kind you, of feel good about how the battles shake out in the well, end. Well, yeah. And it's either you're going to win or you're going to lose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With dice. When mm-hmm. you're drawing cards, it's like, it's like, oh, this monster <laughs> chomps off the power cord. So now everybody loses three health. And then also, like, they, when they chomp it, they... <laughs> get electrocuted so they lose two health so now when you battle them you like i'm just like oh my god i mm-hmm. please uh. yes. <laughs> like that is i i think that you summed it up the chaos like the the cards can just introduce so much more chaos where i just am like i don't 
I don't want to deal with it. And like, fuss. And the dice is just, you roll them, you look at them, and you're like, okay, I lost. I'm out of here. I go oh down my the gosh. road, give me my swords, yes. and then it's on to the next It thing. moved. This game moves so, for such a huge production, it's a quick game. Mm-hmm. It's like a quick, chunky game. It's a quick, chunky game. But it, like I said, it feels like it's an more. Hour. Yes, it's, it's a good hour. It's like a, yeah. be, between the two of us, we were done in less than an hour. Yeah. It goes by really fast. It ends quicker than you think it's going to end. Yes, it does. Um, it looks like it's going to be epic, but it actually feels modest and tight and yes. compact. Yep. And the actions are small where you're placing a worker and you're getting kind of a small return. Mm-hmm. I know you have kind of mused at the beginning of games where you feel like you're putting a worker out there and you're only getting like one of these little tiles that's going to give you one resource if you cash it in. Yep. And that builds into a much bigger thing, but it it starts off really modest and approachable and there's not that many things you can do. And it's a game of small numbers in a lot of ways. Yeah. And small conversions. You're not doing like, I'm drawing three cards and getting four resources and doing this. You're just like, I get one little resource. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy a card, you know, all these little actions. And that's another area where how the end game approaches. And there's two ways to trigger the end game, which is um, somebody builds all six of their dwellings Uh or the last tile for expanding the map has been placed. Which is how we've ended it every single time so far. Mm -hmm. And there's two major ways of getting points, dwellings on the map or mm-hmm. cards in a tableau, mm-hmm. um, expanding the map is going to get people's cards. So either one of those victory conditions is going to advance. It. So it's going to be one of those two, and they're going to come pretty fast. The pace um, of this kind of reminded me of Wingspan, just because it has that slow to quick ramp up. Yes, and actually... Where it just is like, what? All I'm getting is a, cu- a piece of food, two pieces of food. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you're losing workers in wingspan and you're gaining workers in dwellings. Well, but the pace, I feel like all of a sudden it's just like, shoop, 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 shoop. Oh, that's the end game. Well, I was also going to say, though, you are gaining workers, but that's another really smart thing is that building the dwellings removes a worker. That is true. When you're building these dwellings, the titular dwellings of Eldervale. Yes. I said it right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When you're building these titular dwellings of Elderville, yeah. you are giving up a worker for the rest of the game. You just put a little roof cap put a on, a, on little, a worker. Yeah. He just somehow becomes a building. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And so that is actually doing that same thing. And it's funny you brought it up. Not that funny. So it, <laughs> it does the same I mean, thing it as is Wingspan, funny. where Everything's as funny. you go and you're getting a bigger tableau and more actions, it's reducing your workers. You can kind of keep up with that if you keep buying workers, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you get to the six dwellings, you are going to be down to three workers by the end of the game. Yeah. Um, and so... And if you lose a worker to a battle, that's not a usable worker. You you don't get anything when you recall them. They just go straight back into mm-hmm. your trunk. And building those dwellings is where I really think about it kind of being an understated game where mm-hmm. in order to build one of those dwellings, all you usually need, if you're going to build the best dwelling of all, you need like three resources. And it's also going to take the worker being on the map, which is a little bit of um, foresight and st- strategy to keep a guy in a map until you're ready to build. And yep. then it's going to take another worker to go actually do the build action. So it's only three resources, a worker, and then a worker you're losing forever. But it it kind of feels like you're really kind of like building up this. And then finally, you're doing this dwelling and you put the dwelling down. Yep. And um, like the dragon, the wizard, and the warrior cannot be 
turned into dwellings. Right. Yep. So they can't be the person that you place out on the board. Mm-hmm. They can be the one you recall to do the action if you'd like to do that. But it has to be a regular worker that is turned into a dwelling, yeah. which sometimes was super annoying <laughs> because I would lose all my workers to battles. Yeah. Towards the end game, that's really like the danger of the battles because you really need to get your workers out and keep them there long enough to build. Yep. That process, as we, as we played this game, I just felt like it had this kind of classic mm-hmm. mentality to it where you're kind of doing these things that aren't incredibly complicated. And when you come down to the final scoring, it is all about the dwellings and it's all about the cards. There's other ways to score in the game, but the scoring is actually pretty simple. You feel like you should have this long laundry list compared to other similar strategy games where it's like, okay, now everyone gets points for the five things they have checked on this board. Now check your cards and score points for those. Mm -hmm. Now check this. This one is just like, there are a few things, but it pretty Every much Every now is- and then I forget things, especially when it comes to like the little orb board tracking your points in the different colors. But I just say everything out loud and yeah. you just confirm if I'm missing something or not. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, it really is about pushing up the colors and then getting buildings of that color and cards of that color in your tableau. And that's like going to get you 80% of your points, I think. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it kind of feels more simple and more classic in that way. So I think that's just something that I really appreciate about it. It has a lot of bling and fun ideas, but when you sit down and learn it, it clicks with everyone so fast. And I thought I was getting this for its solo mode, but I haven't even explored the solo mode once Ooh. yet because it's been really easy to get to the table. And oh, people yeah. who have played it, this is a game where every time I've asked you and I've asked you semi-late at night and things, you've always been like, not even just yeah, but you've been like, ooh, yeah, like I'd be up for that. I know. And I think that's why I compared it to Wingspan because that's another one of those games where it's like, if you ask me to play it, I know what I'm getting into. And it, it's just like such a high quality game that I just know what to expect, like mm-hmm. time wise and effort wise. And I think I like it because it just feels like it has a little bit bigger scope and a little bit more variety of other games at a similar length and weight. Mm-hmm. Even Wingspan, I think it's more interested in Wingspan. I think maybe they're... That's a great question. I like, just think there's more going on. There's, there's just a lot of different mechanisms all working together. For there, me personally, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying well, that Wingspan like, was like one of my number one games anyway. I think it's it's a great game, but yeah. it's not like top tier for me. Oh, but I'm saying for me, it was one of those games where it's like, if you ever asked if I wanted to play it, pretty much no matter what the time, I would mm-hmm. say yes. And I think this is also one of those games. There's more going on than Wingspan, but I like it because there's like the... The market cards, there's the magic cards, there is the glory track, there's the point track, there is the color tracking, Mm -hmm. there is the hexes, and it sounds like a lot. And when you're first hearing how to play it, this was probably one of those games where I was just like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my God. But then once we started playing so easy to pick up. Yep. And I'm, I'm also speaking from, I mean, I am the newbie in this relationship, but I have played a lot of games, mm-hmm. which has made it a lot easier for me to pick things up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm speaking from my background of having a lot of history now with learning new games. Mm-hmm. But I feel like even for a newer gamer, I think this could be a quickly picked up and very much enjoyed game. Yeah. And I think that's where the production also shines for luring in people because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of games like, you know, the Zombicides and these mm-hmm. kind of like huge productions with a million minis. And when it gets down to it, like I'm I'm fine with Zombicide, I guess, but it's just not 
as interesting of a game because there's really not a ton of decisions. I'm not interested in it at all. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) There's not a lot of decisions you're making. That's what I feel. It is just not, that game is just not engaging to me Mm -hmm. at all. But I think people like it because they're like, I like the big minis. I like the production. Oh, for sure. There definitely is. I love that there's this option for that type of consumer. And I think somebody who just sees a random Kickstarter and gets this one is in my personal humble opinion, getting a better experience. Best of both worlds. Yeah, best of both worlds. Because so. it has fantastic minis. I mean, it's not, our workers aren't minis, they're meeples. But I love meeples. I love meeples more than minis, so I'm happy that <laughs> it has those meeples. Well, I know, I'm just talking for the people that love minis. Oh, that's true, yeah, yeah. Like, it does have a couple fantastic minis, like five Five or six, I think. No, there's Seven? like, I mean, in the, you know, I, I have the legendary edition, but there's, oh, uh, I believe there's 20. Holy crap. Well, we haven't seen all of those. We haven't seen. All I of haven't them. seen all of those. You see four a game, and we've yeah, we've that's seen. The th- you've seen you several. Four, I mean, you've seen a lot of them, but be of the four a game. And I so, think if, if you buy you're the a, base box, there's maybe ten. If you're a zombicide mini kind of person, you won't get all of the minis. Like no. your workers aren't minis, but I do think you're right. Where I think you're just going to get a lot of enjoyment from the rest of the game, and it's going to open two sides of the gaming world the strategic euro and kind of the more ameritrashy a little bit yeah version. yeah that's there a is the point. combat there's dice it kind of bridges that gap i'd be curious to see what somebody who really is not into kind of the strategic euro side of the world is into and what they think of dwellings of elderville that is a really good point it is kind of like a mix of the two it has worker placement and has like the kind of minis battle kind of stuff mm-hmm. i like that yeah and i think we have said pretty much everything we need to say about the dwellings of Eldervale. I think um, so. We were very positive and gushing, I know, but I was just really taken aback and surprised. I am really happy with it. it like I said, it's it's a game. If you ask if I want to play it, I'm going to, I'm always going to play it. I guess one final thing. I, I did kind of say the production is ridiculous and humongous. <laughs> um, and usually I regret how much space those take up on my shelf. Mm-hmm. And while the box is really big, the thing that I appreciate about the production is it does not impede playing it at all. It only helps. And I just say that because I think a lot of these games with a million minis, it makes the game harder to play because I've mm-hmm. played a lot of games where you're like, okay, this monster's spawning. Just find it in one of these racks of things. Yeah. And you're trying to find all these things and yes. they don't have the numbers printed on them or anything you're like that. You're trying to so look not... at those little minis and being like, is this the Dwarven King or is this the Dwarven yeah. King? Yeah, and it, yeah, they're not particularly helpful. This one has so many quality of life thoughtful improvements baked right into the upgrades they give you. And that's like in the trays, they remind you, you can only have five of each resource, which be something to easy forget, but there's a little reminder right Mm -hmm. in the tray. Each worker has a resource cost to spawn, but it's kind of in these little pips right in the tray where they kind of rest. So it's right there to remind you once you know it's there, you'll never forget it. Yep. Um, The monsters themselves are really big, but I think it's important they are because even with the size of them... You never forget they're there. You never forget they are, (laughs) but they do rush you. They have that monster rush, which is easy when you're about to be like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put out these tiles and I'm going to buy a card. It's easy to forget that a monster is rushing you. Right. Um, And if they were just small little meeples or tokens... It would be even easier to forget, but because they're so big yes. and when you put in a spot right next to them, it's hard to forget and be like, hey, that monster is about to rush you. Mm-hmm. Um, You're right next to their space. Like yeah. they're coming at you. And the way the trays are. It is a very friendly setup where you're just like, I am going to hand you this tray and it has everything you need Yeah, and you can pick the art you like the best. You can pick which side of the player card, aka the cover Mm -hmm. that you want to use. It just seems like every 
single part of this game was well thought out. Like even the little cubby in your tray that contains your place marker for like the glory track and Mm -hmm. like the point track and everything that now becomes the tray for your coins. Everything is just used and purposed. It is all there for a reason. Yeah. Even in its excessiveness, Mm -hmm. it has been restrained and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that. So the Dwellings of Eldervale is a quality addition to my collection. I'm super excited to even try the solo mode. I hear it's amazing. I hear it's one of the best. And that's really the reason I got the game. And I just haven't even needed to do that yet. I Every time I take it out, you know, we play it or a different friend plays with us. And I'm happy to have it in my collection. Yeah. Can you play this with more people? You can play with five. <gasps> this would be a very interesting game with five people. Yeah. Way more battles. Yes. Because you're just like taking up space. There would be I'm guessing more, there's more hexes. There is more hexes, yep. But still. Yep. The battles would really occur around those, the five basic tiles that kind yep. of start the board. Those, yep. would, those would be the really sought after tiles. That could be very interesting. Yeah. I, would, I would love to play this at one of our game days or game nights with a couple other people. Well, we will do it. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, so that's Dwellings of Eldervale. Loved it. We've already talked about the website a little bit, but do you want to remind people where they can find us on the internet? Shufflebuddies.com. Shufflebuddies.com with the new added music section. Yeah, check out the music. And then you can find us on Instagram, shuffle underscore buddies underscore pod, Twitter, shuffle underscore buddies, Mm -hmm. board game geek, and our guild number is, God, dang it, dang it. I'm going to cut some of this quiet out, but. Three six three eight. Oh my gosh, you're so close. <gasps> it is boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash three eight three six. No, I'm so close. <laughs> that three eight close. three six. Three eight three six. Not three six three eight. Three eight three six. Mm-hmm. Remember it counts down. Counts down. And I'll remember that last, next time. Okay. Three eight three six. Yes. So you can go over there. Not a lot of chatter happening there, but we will uh, be there. And maybe I'll start posing some <laughs> questions. Yeah, uh, you should. And you can also find me on Board Game Geek. I'm Teen Wolf Dude. You can also find me on Twitter at Teen Wolf Dude, Instagram at Teen Wolf Dude. So if you ever wanted to find me personally, I'm always Chris Teen Wolf Dude. loves talking about games. I do love talking like about games. Like all of his con, everything he posts is about games pretty much. Yeah, um, Teen Wolf Dude. The dudeliest dude in town. Yeah. That's the problem with growing up in the age of the internet. You're stuck with something you made when you were like 18 years old. But I think that's all we have to say. So let's shuffle to the distant Elder Vale. <laughs> shuffle, 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 There's no like plastic covers, you know, right? Like that you just like peel off and then put off to the side. Well, there are. Well, oh, I guess like for the resources. Mm-hmm. God dang it, Chris. <laughs> Welp. On the trays, there's no covers because they become the player cards. Yes. So yeah, and, and there. So- <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, but I... Oh, sorry, I, you... that was loud. Okay, <laughs> I'm fine. done. Okay. Uh, 